Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and for the mercy of Christ in our lives. And come now by the power of the Spirit and teach us um, by, by your word. In Christ's name, amen. Church, in John chapter 9, there is a wonderful encounter that Christ has with some of his disciples. They go along the road and they meet a man who's been born blind, congenital blindness, blind all of his life. And as they walk along, the disciples ask the question that reflected the theology of their day. They said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's been born blind? And Christ said, neither. He's born blind, born this way so you may see the works of God performed in his life. And then Christ says, I'm the light of the world. And he bends down and he spits in the ground and he makes a potion and he picks it up and he tells the blind man to close his eyes and he puts the clay saliva lotion on his eyes and says, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Christ went his way. The man was led to the pool of Siloam. The blind man, blind from birth, washes his eyes and when the water cleanses the clay off of his eyelids, he opens his eyes and he can see for the first time. And he goes back into the marketplace, not a blind beggar, but a man who can see. But he's dressed like the blind beggar had been dressed just a few minutes before. And his friends and his neighbors and his contemporaries say to one another, who is this guy? And some people said, that's the blind beggar we've known all of our lives. And I says, no, that can't be him because he sees. And then he, they, they say to him, what happened? And he said, well, this man named Jesus came along and he made this potion and he put it on my eyes and I go and I washed it I went and washed it off and when I came back I I can see. It's amazing. They said then they asked this question which I think is, is a silly question. Well where is he? The blind man says, what do you mean where is he? I couldn't see till a few minutes ago. How do I know where is he? And so it was done on the Sabbath, so you don't heal on the Sabbath. Because there are some man-made rules that says you don't do this, you don't do that. And the Pharisees were all uptight about that. The Pharisees being the purity party who wanted to reform the laws of Israel and make them more pure and more holy. And, and so they took the man to a council of the Pharisees. And they said, this man was blind till about an hour ago. And the Pharisees say, tell us what happened. And he says, well, this man named Jesus came along and he made this potion, put it on my eyes. I washed. If clay came off, I could see. And the Bible says there was a split among the Pharisees. Some people said, I don't believe him. Jesus is a wicked charlatan. Others said, no, I believe him. And something unique is going on here. And so they dismissed the man. And they brought in the man's parents in Act 2 of the Pharisees. And they said to the parents of the man, what happened? They said, our son can see. And they said, how it happens is, we don't know. He is of age. Ask him. And the Bible says they feared the Pharisees because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. To be cast out of the synagogue meant that you were declared persona non grata and that fellow Jews could not entertain you socially and they couldn't trade with you economically. So it was, you're declared a social and an economic pariah. And the Bible says they feared being cast out of the synagogue. And they said, he's of age, 
ask him. And so they said, well, we'll do it again. And so they, they bring the guy in. And here's what's interesting. This guy intuitively was a bright, bright man. Now he's, he's, he's blind from birth, never been to school. Probably there's no Braille in that day. There was no school for the deaf and the blind. That you were just kind of an outcast and a beggar. You were a beggar class. And so they called in this man who's never been educated, and he's, he's standing before the PhDs of his day who were steeped in tradition and knew argument and knew how to ask and interrogate, and he really turns it upside down on them. It's very interesting. They bring him back in, and they say to him, well, tell us, how did you regain your sight? Your parents have confirmed that you were born blind, and you received your sight just a couple of hours ago now. How did you receive your sight? And he said, I've already told you once. Do you want me to tell you again? Are you going to be his disciples? And they were furious with him. They, they, this is what the Bible says. He answered them, I've already told you, and you want what? listen, you want to hear it again, do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him. One version says they cursed him out, which is a good translation. They cursed him out saying, you are his disciple, we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And this blind man who is just now seen, who has no education, says this. He's brilliant. He says, why, why this is amazing to me. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And he could have stopped and said, and if you'll just read the book of Isaiah, it says that the, the coming Messiah will open the eyes of the blind. Three different times in Isaiah. But you guys don't get it. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him in a furious diatribe, you who were born in utter sin. Stop. That, that means that you were born in sin because you deserved it. You're an outcast. We're the ruling elite, PhDs. We know the law inside and out. How dare you talk to us in a way of an equal? How dare you question our judgments? You who were born in sin, step, steeped in sin, utter sin, would teach us, and they cast him out. See, they cast him. In other words, we cast you out. You are a social and an economic outcast now. I'm sure the man left utterly dejected, and he encounters Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man being the term, do you believe in the Messiah who is king? And he answered him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now, remember last week I was in John chapter 4, and this woman who had five husbands and was living with a guy, she's a serial adulterer, and, and Christ said, I who speak to you am, am the Messiah. He does the same thing here. It's interesting, he hides his identity from some people, but other people he just lays it out. Very interesting study. He said, who is he, sir? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then Christ says this. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees were listening to this dialogue, and they heard him, and they said to him probably with a sneer, then you're saying we're blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but because you say we see, your guilt remains. So that's the background. That, that's, that's the way you understand chapter 10 about being, Jesus being the good shepherd. He's speaking in light of this encounter. And so when he talks about thieves and robbers that go in over the gate and not through the door, he's talking about those people who teach self-justification and being made perfect instead of running to the cross. In light of that, listen to John chapter 10. Truly, truly, or with great sobriety or with great earnestness, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought them out, all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, verily, verily, with great sobriety, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out, and he will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So four times in this passage, he says, I lay down my life, or I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Here in verse 11, then in verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay down my life of my own accord. Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. And as the good shepherd, this passage says, he, he, he calls them, he gathers them, and he leads them. This is very interesting. In, in the days of Christ, a neighborhood would have a sheep pen. So you might have three or four different small groupings of sheep owned by three or four different households. And so if you owned the sheep, you would stand in one corner of the sheep pen and you would call your sheep and they would run to your voice because they knew the voice of their, 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 their shepherd. And so you call them. Jesus says, I call them and I, I gather them, and I lead them out. In our culture, in the West, we have sheep dogs. There are no sheep dogs in the Middle East. It was only the shepherd. And the shepherd would go before them, and he would hold them, and he would guide them, and he would care for them. And as, as, I, as I studied this, I, I just go, you know, the, the, the problem with, the problem with Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, it makes me us, if we're followers of Jesus, it makes us out to be sheep. And here's the problem. Sheep are easily frightened. They're not very smart, and they're defenseless, and they run in packs. I thought about this passage. I thought, you know, you know, really, uh, in Revelation 5, 5, it says that Jesus is the great lion of the tribe of Judah. 
How much more palatable would it have been for me, for us, for Christ followers to say, for Jesus to say, I am the great lion tamer and I lead my pride or my group of lions. I don't mind being a lion. And lions are strong, ferocious, the king of the jungle. But sheep are easily led, easily deceived, defenseless, and not very smart. I, so, but, but I am a sheep. I really am a sheep. The problem is that I am easily frightened. The problem is I am not very smart. The problem is I'm easily deceived. I wish I was a lion, but really I'm a sheep. When I was a child, we did not have Netflix. We didn't have movies on demand. And once a year, we would have an annual showing of a well-known movie. When I was a child, my brother and I, who's two years younger than me, would look forward to the viewing of The Wizard of Oz. We loved it. And Dorothy would click her heels and say, I'm not in North Carolina anymore. Go Tar Heels. <laughs> no, Dorothy would go through the wizard. She would say, lions, tigers, and bears. Never said lions, tigers, and lambs. Oh, my. Well, lambs are easily led. They're easily frightened. They're defenseless. And they're not very smart. Um, so, so. All this underscores the relentless, tender nature of Jesus who, who calls us by name, who gathers us, and who leads us out, and who says you are a deeply flawed but forgiven person. You see, the Pharisees, the Pharisees had a problem, and their problem was self-justification, which led to pride and arrogance and blindness. I have and you have a dormant, inner Pharisee in my heart. Hopefully it's dormant. Jesus says in John 9, 39, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And in other words, the, the judgment is this. He wants to graciously expo expose the blindness of our hearts so that we might really see. The blindness that is involved in justification of, of my Wicked behavior, blame shifting, and denial all keeps me from saying, I'm a sheep. All which causes me to want to cry out, I'm not a sheep, I'm just a lion. I don't want to admit that I'm easily frightened, I'm not smart, and I am defenseless, and I run in a pack. And so the Pharisees who heard the interchange at the end of John said, said, said with a sneer, are you saying that we are blind? And then Jesus says these incredible words. He says, if you were blind, if you knew you were blind, you would have no guilt because you'd run to me. But because you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, church, when I say that I had rather be a lion than a sheep, I swerve into a pharisaical mindset. Because the Pharisees didn't want to appear to be weak or easily frightened or defenseless. They wanted to have the best seats at the wedding banquet and be celebrated when in the, to the marketplace and to wear rich robes and to make long, lengthy prayers so people say, man, you are really with it. The Pharisees said, my efforts, my keeping the law, 
has made me worthy of the Father's acceptance. They said, the more I keep the law, the more I do and do and do, I force God into my corner and he owes me. The Pharisees were enormous with themselves. And so when I have a pharisaical spirit, I minimize my mistakes and I long to receive the applause of men who tell me how wonderful I am. I long to hear the applause of people who say, you know, Jehovah is really blessed to have you on his team. Or I want my little child to grow up and be like your, you are. <laughs> we should buy a music stand that works. One of that hydraulic lifts that are controlled by the back. We want to hear people say, uh, Jehovah is blessed to have you on his team. You're so strong and pure and intelligent and you observe all the laws and then some. You fast twice a week. You're a good Pharisee. So I can do that. I have low blood sugar. You walk around being observed and loved and cared for. Well, do you mind if I just call you Mr. Wonderful? That's what the Pharisees wanted to hear. It's all about performance. It's all about being impeccable in my lifestyle and being applauded. Recently, I was talking to someone I didn't know very well, but we were talking about a mutual friend. And he said about our mutual friend, he said, I've talked to three different people recently who said to me that when I have a hard decision to make, I always ask myself, what would this person do? And I said, well, I always thought it was better to say, what would Jesus do? And when I heard that, I wanted to throw up and weep simultaneously. I wanted to throw up because no one can live with that kind of pressure. No one. We weren't meant to live with that kind of pressure. I wanted to weep because I thought, if my friend, who I love dearly, ever starts believing that, then the latent inner Pharisee will come bursting out and the gospel of grace will be minimized. So I got together with him the next day and I said, this is what I heard. And we both laughed uproariously and went on. See, I'm a sheep. I'm silly. I'm defenseless. I'm easily frightened. And I run in packs. A sheep. I'm not a lion. We have the privilege of living out in the country. We just moved a few months ago, and in our backyard, our neighbor's backyard, I claim it, there's a tall tree where bald eagles nest. I mean, that is so cool. There's an eaglet and two eagles. And so we'll be outside or inside, and we'll hear the piercing cry of an eagle. And wherever we are, we jump up and we run out to see the eagle fly in. Sometimes I've seen the eagle fly into the tree with its talons laid out and its wings open. And you're going, wow. Conversely, when I hear a seagull, I don't run outside and say, ooh, a seagull. Whoa, look at that garbage-eating bird. No, I don't want to be a seagull. I want to be an eagle. I want to be an eagle. I don't want to be a lamb. I want to be a lion. But Jesus says he's a good shepherd of lambs. So, so, so the, the dominant inner Pharisee struggles with, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, because they congratulate themselves because they made a 4-0 in school or they just received their MD or they just got in a great graduate school or they just did great academically 
athletically or they just won a tennis match or their children are all tall, good-looking with lots of hair, none of which is wrong. Because God says, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. We're to take the, the, the gifts that God has given us and to multiply to the glory of his name. So I rejoice in success. But it's so easy for success to blind us to the grace of Christ. I was thinking of a young man this week. He's a good-looking guy. He's just doing great in every area. And he, he's, 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 and I just found myself praying, Lord, do not let him forget the glory of the cross and his success. See, when Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. He was not putting down wealth. Wealth is fine. Wealth is a gift of God. What he was saying is it's very difficult for accomplished, successful individuals, be it wealth or academics or athletics, which is my struggle point. I'm a very good athlete. Athletics or, or just being slapped down good-looking to get in the kingdom because your inner Pharisee kicks in with a vengeance. And so instead of saying, I'm a sheep, I say, I'm really not a sheep. I'm, I really am not blind. I'm just nearsighted, and I just need reading glasses that are 1.5s. I'm really okay. I can read without them, but it's better with them on. No, you're, you're blind. I don't need the miracle working Messiah. I need a guru who helps me make a midlife adjustment. See, the easiest people to be with church, and we all know this, are people who are former blind people, whether it's in substance abuse or whether it's in sexual failure or whether it's in a marriage that fell apart or whether it's children that disappointed them and broke their hearts. They're, they're needy, and if they're needy and they go to the cross, they're fun to be with because they understand grace. They all gather at the not-perfect cafe and drink deeply of the new wine of grace. But the Pharisees, they were all struggling to make themselves presentable to the distant, perfectionistic, and undefinable God they had to clean themselves up and walk straight and with their shoulders back, their eyes straight ahead. And if you're not by the citadel, get in the gutter. It's all about rules. But the cross says you're sheep. The cross says that we'll celebrate Friday. What you could never, ever, ever in a thousand lives do for yourself, God in the form of Jesus did for you when he died on the cross for your sins. Therefore, I'm freely embraced and he says, to defenseless, easily led, not very smart sheep, come and be saved under the banner of the good shepherd on the cross. Because Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I will never, ever, 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 ever have to cry that out. Because he took my place on the cross. And so later in John 10, we read this. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them from my Father's hand, because my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And all this happened because Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And so we say with C.S. Lewis in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is the deep magic of God, the deep magic of the gospel. And, and so th the Lord says this, because I've laid down my sheep, I call them, I gather them, and I lead them. And they follow, for they know his voice. They gladly follow. This is Holy Week. And in, in this Holy Week, my question is, what area of my life, what issue do I need to, to commit to the Lord afresh and give to him and gladly surrender to him because I've heard his voice? To gladly surrender him because it says twice in this passage, or three, three times, but verse 7 9, he says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. Verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and he will find pasture. Isn't that wonderful? Go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. He says, conversely, verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will, they will flee from him. They'll run from that voice. If you're a sheep under the living Christ, you flee. And so, so I was just making notes when I wrote down one of my thesis statements on this passage. Any philosophy or worldview which advocates self-salvation or obscures the good shepherd work of Christ who laid down his life for me, who calls and gathers and goes before his sheep. Any worldview that minimizes that is to be avoided because Jesus says that eventually will still kill and destroy you. We've been studying 2 Peter the last few weeks, and 2 Peter 2 talks about the false teachers who come up from among the people and they travel well, along well-known paths of greed and sexual license, and they lead many astray, and because of their teaching and because some believers will follow them, the gospel and the good news of Jesus will be blasphemed or dishonored. And these, these men, Peter describes them as blots and blemishes. He says that they come to the Lord's Supper and to worship just to look for a woman they can try to get in bed. He says they have eyes full of adultery and they have an insatiable desire for sex. And, and he says they're accursed children. And utter darkness is reserved for them. These are strong words. But let me say this. Those people are found out for what they are. You want to read about a sad, sad man? Read about Hugh Hefner today. Some of you young people don't even know who he was. He started Playboy. I think he's 89. Takes 10 Viagra a day. Looks like he's been dead 200 years. And nobody looks at him and says, man, that's what I want to do. You go, good grief. So you, these sexually driven, insatiable people, you see them for what they are eventually. But, but, but these Pharisees are citizens of the year. They're men and women of the year. They're in charge of different things, and they do it well. And they're working their way into the presence of God by their bootstraps. And they lead you to hell. They steal, kill, and they destroy. Conversely, Jesus says that safety and refreshment and embrace are found in him. You go in and out and you find good pasture because of who Jesus is. There's a man named Brennan Mann. He's written some interesting books. One is called Abba's Child. And he's, he talks about, he says, as a 23-year-old, he'd gotten out of college, and he had joined a, 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 a 
Roman Catholic monastery. And he says, the first Lent, I was six weeks. He says, I was six weeks before Easter. I was 23 years old and I'm beginning my monastic career. And he says this, let me just read two paragraphs. He says, self-flagellation has a personal history with me. When I was only 23 years of age, I was a novice in the Franciscan order in Washington, D.C. And the order practiced an ancient spiritual discipline on the Friday nights of Lent, the six Friday nights before Easter. A designated cleric stood flat-footed beside the stairwell on the first floor in our monastery, and he slowly read Psalm 51, which David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah, which says, Cleanse me, Lord, and I'll be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities. And he said, Meanwhile, the rest of us entered our cells on the second floor, clutching a noose-shaped instrument of torture, Measuring 12 inches in length, it was a coiled telephone wire. Throughout the duration of the recitation of that psalm, we whipped our backs and our buttocks to extinguish the fire of lust. I flailed away with such reckless abandon that I raised blood blisters on my back. The following day, a fellow monk saw me coming out of the shower and took one look at my bludgeoned body and reported my condition to the novice master, the head of the monastery, who reprimanded me for my intemperate zeal. Listen to this. Truth to tell, I was trying desperately to make myself pleasing to God. I was trying to make myself pleasing to God by beating myself. See, his inner Pharisee had kicked in. So, so you look at this passage. It says that the good shepherd is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Because he's the good shepherd, he's laid down his life for the sheep. He has the right and authority to call us by name, to gather us, and to go before us, and we follow. Because he's the good shepherd, he's the door. And because he's the door, we go in and out, and we find pasture and safety and refreshment and embrace. And because he's the good shepherd, we follow him gladly and we flee from any voice that speaks of self-justification or any voice that diminishes the glory of Jesus. In March of my freshman year at the Citadel, I went to a series of Bible studies and sometime in that period of my life, I understood the glory of the cross. And so... When I came back my sophomore, I was driving a beat-up car, and, and I went out and I bought a bumper sticker at the Christian bookstore that says, Smile, God Loves You, and put it on the, my bumper sticker, my bumper. And I thought, you know, if, if I had a, 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 did that today, what would I put on my bumper? Well, one thing would be Citadel Bulldogs. Another would be, uh, it's only 168 days till Clemson plays Auburn. Another would be, my grandson can beat up your grandson in cage fighting. He's only six months old, but he is a stud already. In all seriousness, I thought, you know, as I got older in the Lord and studied and, and grew to know more of Christ and more of who he is, it makes me want to sing and dance and shout. So, smile, God loves you as an entry point. Then my next bumper stick would say something like this, Christ, smile, Christ died in your place on the cross. The next bumper sticker. Smile, you are saved by faith alone through the work of Christ alone. I love the words alone. 
The next, smile you have received the gift of the ever-present Holy Spirit who guides and teaches and opens the Word of God and elevates the name of Jesus. Got to have a big car for all this. Smile, you're adopted into the family of God. You ever think about that? There are families adopting children. It's so wonderful. There, there are people in our church who go to the ends of the earth and spend money, lots of money, to adopt children because they love them. That's what I adopt. The apex of our work before the Lord, or our calling before the Lord, is we're adopted by His mercy. Or another, we smile. You have an eternity of joy awaiting you in heaven that is beyond description. Or smile. Abba Father has numbered the hairs upon your head and He loves you. I mean, I, would, I could go on and on with my bumper stickers. What I'm saying is, is that as you grow in the Lord, the more you see of the Good Shepherd, the more you want to hear His voice and be gathered under Him and follow Him because you find safety and sweet refreshment through the door who is Jesus. So we follow gladly. George MacDonald is a quote. I'll give you part of it here. There's a quote in the bulletin. George McDonald was the, the mentor of C.S. Lewis. Thank you, George McDonald. And George McDonald said this, one of my greatest difficulties in consenting to think of the Christian faith was that I thought I should have to give up my beautiful thoughts and my life for the things that God has made. But I find that the happiness springing from all things not in themselves sinful is much increased in the faith. God is the God of the beautiful. Religion is the love of the beautiful. And heaven, the house of the beautiful. Nature is tenfold brighter in the Son of Righteousness, Jesus, than my love of nature is, and my love of nature is more intense since I became a believer, a Christian. God has not given me such thoughts and forbidden me to enjoy them. Will he not in them enable me to raise my voice and praise. And I just thought all the good gifts of God he gives us are a door to deeper, deeper realities. Every beautiful place you've ever been, every succulent meal you've ever partaken of, every relationship that gives you warmth and joy is a door to the deeper reality. I was, I was at the Department of Natural Resources this week on Fort Johnson Road. People were very helpful to me. I was getting some license and taking care of some stuff. And so I'm, I'm standing there. I'm in line. And people are happy. It's a beautiful place and very well done. And there's a man talking to another guy. They used to know each other, obviously. And the guy said to the man who's in front of me, he said, um, how's it going? How's retirement? He says, uh, it's horrible. He says, I have no time. He says, I play golf four days a week, and I fish four days a week, and I have no time for anything else. And they started laughing. I thought, well, they're into humor here. And so I, I was going up, and there's a lady helping me. who was very professional, and I was buying a fishing license. She said, I'll be $10, sir. And I said, I paid it. And I said, I'll buy one for my wife. Here's her Social Security number. She says, that'll be $10. I said, really? You shouldn't charge her $10. She never catches a fish. <laughs> and see, I thought it was funny, too. I already did. And she said... I'm sorry, sir, that will still be $10. And I went, oh, come on, come on. And, and then I realized she's probably heard that 30 times this week. So I just, she, she was very professional. And, but as I stood in the Department of Natural Resources, and I thought about, and it was on Monday. Monday was a beautiful day. 
I just thought of the beauty surrounding me and how the, even the drive there was a joy. And, and I thought, what a sorrow to see creation as all that there is because that's a cul-de-sac. What a sorrow to see relationships as the only true relationship we'll ever have because that's a burden no relationship can bear. But it's a cul-de-sac. What, what a horror to eat a meal and not realize that, that no matter how good that meal was, there's going to be a heavenly feast that will blow this meal out of the water. What a sorrow to go to a zip code that has incredible beauty and to think that's all there is and not realize that's just a door. There's deeper magic beyond the door and it's called heaven. But because we have a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, who prepared a place for us, who died on the cross for our sins. We have glory. It makes me want to jump and shout and sing and skip. The more you know of Christ, I think the more you should be filled with happiness and joy and hope. So, so this Easter week, may we be people who say, you're the good shepherd. I'm a sheep. Forgive me for thinking I'm a lion. I'm not. Forgive me for thinking I'm even a wildebeest. I'm not. Sheep. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day and for the tender mercies of the cross of Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You stopped and you loved this beggar who had been blind from birth, who was an outcast. And thank you that you healed him. And thank you that once the religious authorities of his day some of them threw him out of the synagogue, making him socially and economically unacceptable. You sought him out and embraced him. And thank you for teaching us in light of that, that you are the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just all that. Thank you. Thank you that you're not only the good shepherd that lay down your life for the sheep, but you're the door. And, and we go in and out for you, and we find safety and sweet refreshment. And that you've come that we may have life and have it abundantly. You've come to make a people who will rejoice and be glad and sing and skip. So we want to do that. We pray this week, Lord, that you would, as the gospels preached and communicated, the resurrected Christ is spoken of all over this country and the city, that you would open the eyes of people. There would be a tidal wave of people who see the glory and goodness of Christ. And they walk under the banner of the Good Shepherd and they say, we are the sheep of his pasture. He's called us by name. He gathers us and we follow him. For that for our children, our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, our country. And the peoples of this world. So come, Lord Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.